Sensei! Hello! You're listening to Achimowin on CJSR 88.5 FM, located in the city of Edmonton, which is on Treaty 6 territory, as well as Region 4 of the Métis Nation. This is a traditional gathering place for the Cree, Blackfoot, Nakota Sioux, Iroquois, Dene, Anishinaabe, Inuit, and others to whom we pay our respects and thanks. My name is Shayna Giles, and I'm of Métis descent. My pronouns are they, them. This week on Achimowin, we'll start by going through some recent headlines and news from the Edmonton area, as well as a heads up for some upcoming dates you might want to keep an eye on. Our feature interview guest this week is Monique Desjardins, an Ojibwe nurse working at Kikanao Seniors Facility in Wabasca Demare, a small town in northern Alberta, to hear all about her job and her experiences nursing as part of National Nurses Week, which was held from May 10th to 16th this year. So make sure to stick around to hear from Monique about her experiences nursing, how the pandemic has affected her facility, and her hopes for the future. First up in recent news... As part of a regular council meeting on May 4th, Strathcona County unanimously voted to fly the flags of the Métis Nation and the Confederacy of Treaty Six Nations, both inside the council chamber and outside on the cenotaph. While the flags inside the chamber could be displayed as early as this spring, the flags outside might take a bit longer to be displayed due to ongoing budget deliberations regarding the redevelopment of the cenotaph outside the council chambers to include two additional flagpoles, which, if approved, means the flags outside might be flown anywhere between 2022 and 2024. You can read more about Strathcona County and its plans to hoist the Métis Nation and Confederacy of Treaty Six Nations flags in an article from the Sherwood Park News, titled County to Hoist Indigenous Flags, published by Lindsay Morey on May 7th. In Edmonton, Native Counseling Services of Alberta recently came out with a downloadable, printable, statement to police card earlier this month, designed to help Edmontonians know their rights when they're pulled over or stopped by police. The card itself includes a short paragraph that can be read aloud to police, asserting your rights, and can be downloaded for free or for a small donation from bearpawlegalresources.ca. They can also ship a printed card to you for a small fee. In response to this card, Edmonton Police Services has said they will be briefing their officers on the card so they know that people are asserting their rights. EPS is also offering small brochures and cards with QR codes that, when scanned, take you to the EPS Know Your Rights webpage, which lists your rights when you are interacting with police. According to EPS, This initiative is in response to calls from the public for more information and transparency in interactions with police. So between the NCSA's Statement to Police card and the EPS Know Your Rights card, that's two resources you can use in case of interactions with police in Edmonton. You can find the Statement to Police card by going to bearpawlegalresources.ca. And if you don't want to carry around the EPS Know Your Rights card, you can go straight to the website it links you to. That's edmontonpolice.ca slash knowyourrights. To read more about the cards, you can check out the article titled New Downloadable Statement to Police Cards Issued in Edmonton, published by APTN News on May 6th by Chris Stewart. And the article titled Edmonton Police Services Offering Know Your Rights Card to the Public, published in APTN News on May 15th, again by Chris Stewart. 
A story came out this past week in CBC News that back on April 23rd, the Alberta Human Rights Commission overturned a previous decision they had made to dismiss an Indigenous nurse's allegations that Alberta Health Services did not act on her complaints of racist abuse from her co-workers. Eileen Ledger says that it all started in February of 2018, after she attended a protest rally against the acquittal of Gerald Stanley, who you might know as the Saskatchewan farmer responsible for the death of Colton Bushy. Eileen was working at the Edmonton Remand Centre at the time, and when pictures of her at the protest began circulating at the Remand, the environment quickly became threatening, with racial comments and hate speeches being made. Rather than dealing with the toxic work environment, AHS had placed her on leave and reassigned her. Previously, the Human Rights Commission had said there was nothing wrong with their response, and that there was no reason to believe that Eileen's race was a factor. Now, the Alberta Human Rights Commission has said yes, there was racism involved, and now AHS and Alberta Justice are considering their next steps. I strongly encourage you all to read more about Eileen's story in the CBC article titled Human Rights Tribunal Hearing Ordered for Indigenous Nurse Who Received Workplace Threats by Jenny Russell, posted on May 12th on CBC News. A couple of upcoming dates and deadlines to keep an eye on. The Métis Nation of Alberta is holding its third annual Alberta Métis Fest virtually on June 26th, as well as their third annual Fiddling and Jigging Contests. If you're interested in participating in either the jigging or the fiddling contests, make sure to submit a video of your fiddling or jigging before the submission deadline of May 31st. For more info on how to submit or participate, send an email over to albertamaytifest at metis.org. Also coming up soon, the Native Women's Association of Canada has put out a call on social media that they are looking to purchase art. If you're an Indigenous woman or gender-diverse artist under the age of 29, they're looking for art that fits the theme, What Does Resiliency Look Like to You? They're looking for art of any medium of your choice, including canvas, paintings and drawings, baskets, sculptures, artisan furniture, or however you choose to express the theme. The submission deadline of May 25th is coming up fast, so if you're interested, you can submit your art by emailing tiktokart at nwac.ca with information about your piece and tag them on social media platform TikTok at nwac underscore ca, all in caps. You can also find the call for submissions post on their Twitter at nwac underscore ca, again, in all caps. On to our feature interview for this week. May 10th to 16th was National Nurses Week in Canada, and last Friday, May 14th, was Indigenous Nurses Day. I wanted to speak with an Indigenous nurse, and I managed to get into contact with Monique Desjardins to talk about her experiences in nursing thus far, her experiences working with Indigenous elders, and about what it's like to be a nurse during COVID. So without further ado, let's get right into the interview. Okay, so my name is Monique Desjardins and I'm from Muskaugan First Nation and that is in uh, kind of by Regina, Saskatchewan. I'm a newly graduate nurse from the University of Alberta 
uh, from the Bachelor of Science in Nursing Honors Program. So you mentioned where you're from. Where are you working now? I work at the Kikinau Seniors Living Facility in Wabasca Demery. It's about three and a half hours north of Edmonton. And I started working there last April, so April 2020, um, just before the facility opened. Oh, wow. So like right from the beginning then? Yeah. Nice. Uh, So you mentioned you started in April of 2020, a difficult time. Walk me through your first day at at Kikinau. What was that like? So like you said, that was kind of the beginning of the COVID global pandemic. So that's part of the reason they called us in a little bit earlier than they were originally planning. Um, Basically, they did that because it was uh, to prepare for COVID in case there was going to be outbreaks in the community. They thought this would be a good place because it was still empty at the time to have a quarantine center, a triage center, and um, all the services that the community needed to prepare for COVID. So my role at that point, it was was exciting. It was also a bit intimidating and scary at the time. I'm still an undergraduate nurse, uh, nursing student. So I basically helped them prepare and create that triage area. I helped coordinate staff to set up the quarantine rooms and get all the furniture necessities uh, ready. And then I also worked the on-call COVID-19 community helpline. Tell me a little bit more about your your day-to-day work at the facility. How does your day typically start and end and what do you usually do in, in a typical day? So I kind of have two main roles. Um, It's kind of split into my on-the-floor nursing care and then my administration tasks. So it kind of depends what I'm scheduled for. But um, right now, like, for instance, I'm working my administration shift. So during that time, I have the time to go through all the resident assessments. So that could be like intake assessments for any new residents that are coming in, doing fall risk assessments, Braden scales, that sort of thing. I help out the other nurses that are on the floor if they need help with like your dressing changes or injections, or um, I help um, coordinate services like nail care, lab work, stuff like that. Um, when I'm working on the floor, it's more your typical nursing scope. So after that, we check in with our life enrichment staff to see if they have any activities planned for the residents. We look at if they have any scheduled visits. And then I also um, review doctor's orders, work with pharmacy to to, um, replenish any like medications and stuff like that. so very all-encompassing yeah I've got I've got a lot and more I'm just I can't think of right now so you mentioned you were an undergraduate nurse how has your experience working at Kikinau sort of matched with your expectations of what it would be like to work there it's it's matched my expectations and actually exceeded them because I really have a good idea of what like a rural nursing role encompassed. So now going from undergraduate nurse to nursing team lead here, um, I get such a fulfillment 
from from my everyday job like I've never I've never worked in a facility where it's predominantly Indigenous elders I would say about 99% of the elders and the um, even the staff here are all First Nations, Inuit or Métis. And so it's such a, a family and supportive environment. Um, everybody, like it just warms my heart, everybody being able to be here and provide meaningful care to the elders and residents and um, being a part of their lives every day, learning their stories, um, advocating them for their needs, working with the family to provide you know, the care that they need. Um, it's it's an atmosphere like I've never seen. And there's a deep sense of belonging that just comes from that cultural connection that we have with the elders and the staff providing care here. So it's it's been it's been really great. And I, I plan to stay here for for a little while for sure. So you've been studying nursing at the University of Alberta. What made you decide to get into nursing? I've always kind of known since I was little that I wanted to get into a health field. I went through all the different professions, doctor, nursing, paramedic, et cetera. And it wasn't actually until I, I broke my arm when I was younger, falling out of a tree that turned into a pretty nasty bone infection. And so I was in and out of the hospital for about, about eight years, having like multiple surgeries, et cetera, home care. And it was, it was, it was the really outstanding nursing care that I got. It just had such a huge impact on me as a child. And so that, yeah, I, I thought what a, what better place to, to try and work and, and make changes in other, other people's lives like they did to mine, you know? So you mentioned in our sort of email exchange that you helped start up the Indigenous Nursing Students Association at the U of A. How were you involved in that? Um, I got into the U of A through a program called Transition Year Program, and they help Indigenous students get into their faculties um, and prepare for university and such. And during that time, you felt really connected. You were in the center of campus. You had all your services there. You had all your fellow students going through the same things you were. So you kind of had that sense of, um, of family, and that, that network, right? Well, after that first year in faculty, it went from having over 70 other students to me and my now very close friend and coworker. Um, and it was, it kind of felt a little isolating at times. And I wasn't aware that there were any Indigenous or First Nations students in the faculty or even, um, even like staff and teachers. And so, Fast forward to my third year, now I kind of have some familiar faces. There's maybe about six to 10 of us that I recognize. And some of them are even, um, some of them are staff. So not very many, especially out of a 300 um, student cohort, like per year. There's maybe a handful of us that are, that are Indigenous. And so because of that, we decided that we need to create a student group where we can just have those familiar faces and talk about the things that we're going through or um, work with the Nursing Undergraduate Association to look at admission requirements and how they can incorporate culturally competent um, education and care for students. You're listening to Achimowin on CJSR 88.5 FM. 
I'm your host, Shayna Giles, joined today by Monique Desjardins, an indigenous nurse working at the Kikanao Seniors Facility in Wabasca, Demeray. So you're graduating this year from the nursing program. Uh, first off, congratulations. Uh, secondly, what's convocation going to look like for you during the pandemic? Thank you so much. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't. We were really hoping to be able to do the in-person convocation, but as of right now, from what I know, we have an online debts, uh, date set for June 25th, and basically. They're just going to go through the entire speeches and stuff all online, introduce all the students, all of our grad pictures that way. And I believe our certificates are going to be sent out through the mail. Yeah, very muted ceremony, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, this is, it's a pretty big milestone. So I was, I was disappointed to hear that, you know, it, it's nice to have like, the family and and see all of your fellow classmates together, et cetera, et cetera. But but we understand that safety is the the highest priority. So we're currently still in the midst of vaccination rollout for the general population here in Alberta. Uh, for seniors in supportive living facilities, they were some of the first to be eligible for vaccines in Alberta. What was vaccine rollout like in your facility? I wasn't here for all of it because I was actually in my preceptorship placement when they were doing the vaccine rollout here. But from my understanding, they opened up a clinic um, separate from the local health center that they have here. So they found a designated space. Actually, no, that's what they're doing now. They actually brought in nurses, I believe, to come do the vaccine to all the residents. Um, they came into the facility and they went one by one. We brought our residents out and they got their first vaccination and that was that. It was pretty, pretty smooth from what, I, from what I heard. Just talking about nursing in Indigenous communities and with this particular population. Uh, so you're currently working at a seniors facility with a lot of Indigenous elders. Are there any special challenges or needs that arrive from working with this particular population? Yes. Um, a big one is language barrier. A lot of the elders here are fluent in Cree and that was their first language. And so that becomes a challenge for some of the nurses because um, the language was lost in my family. And so I only know small words here and there. And We've managed that because a lot of our staff, like our healthcare aides or our housekeepers or even management, some of them, a lot of them are actually local and so they also are fluent in Cree and they, so I kind of have to work with them to make sure the elders needs are being met. That's a big one, but eventually I do want to take a course to, so that that's not a problem anymore. Um, any other challenges? I would say like the biggest challenge right now has to do with the pandemic just because for a while there they weren't getting their visitation um, or any sort of visitation rights with their families and so seeing that was was pretty heartbreaking sometimes um, families would do their best they would come up to the windows and 
and talk as well as they could over the phone or through the screen or just waving. And, and I know it was really hard for some of the elders, especially when they're looking at their grandkids or new family members they haven't had, had the chance to welcome yet. Um, and then also isolated. So not only are they, is it their first, was it their first time coming to a facility, this facility, um, for some of them, but so getting used to like the new environment, the new people, the, the other new residents, it was, it was, it was hard at first, but um, now it's like a night and day difference. Everybody is like, most people know each other, know each other's families. They have their friend groups now, and we're slowly kind of getting back to that normal state again, especially now that they've been able to, we've been able to bring visitors in. Uh, you touched on it quite a bit, but how has the pandemic affected the elders who live there? It's, it, it was, it was, like I said, it was really hard. Some of them didn't fully understand the full scope of the pandemic. They didn't really understand um, why people weren't allowed to come and visit or why they weren't really allowed to go out as much as they used to. And so um, that, and then finding activities to keep them, to keep them occupied. We were the challenges like um, social distancing and trying to have activities that we could clean often or um, even bringing in supplies. They would have to go through housekeeping to be sanitized and that takes time. So it was an adjustment for everybody, but ultimately um, it was it was a difficult, difficult time for the seniors for sure. What has your experience personally been like with trying to form relationships with some of the other people at the facility in this past year? It's been, it's different. Um, and the reason I say that is because any sort of outsider coming into, into a community that you're not familiar with can, can be difficult at first. But I was welcomed with open arms and I think they were especially happy to have um, staff that are Indigenous because that's, um, it promotes a sense of cultural safety and, and then they also understand that I'm culturally competent so I understand the needs more than the average person for these residents, especially these residents, right? And so they were, they welcomed me with open arms. They were excited to have, have nurses that were indigenous and could understand some of the injustices that a lot of these residents or indigenous people had to go through in the past. And so I think they were happy and yeah, now, now my relationships with everybody here are just wonderful. Feels like a family here, you know? Um, very little conflict and it's it's all been like easily resolved when we do have conflict so yeah so alberta has announced that as of may 10th a few days ago they're loosening visiting restrictions for supportive living hospice and long-term care facilities how has that impacted the staff and residents of your facility that was some of the best news that we could have heard <laughs> We implemented it as soon as as soon as it was announced. We we did what we could to get families in here. 
Um, and it just brought so much joy to the residents, especially with Mother's Day just passing, right? And so I know it's kind of controversial at times um, having visiting hours again for residents. Um, but if everybody here is just excited, um, having the families come into the resident rooms and stuff, it also makes makes staff more accountable, right? I think sometimes it's it's easy to forget, especially with the workload. But having those families in there and and that extra advocate that the residents need when when we maybe can't provide um, the same time commitment that your family members could, right? So it's just wonderful. The residents are are so happy. Family is in and out, and and we're of course um, making sure that we're taking like all of our infection control procedures and stuff, um, and making sure the residents are as safe as possible while doing so. But it's been really great having them back. How did you feel personally when you heard that the rules were about to change and more visitors would be allowed to enter the facility? I was happy. Um, I, I couldn't imagine being in their shoes and, you know, being so close to your family and loved ones and not being able to see them. It would just, especially for such a long period of time, it just feels like forever that they, they haven't been able to, to have that sense of normality um, with their families. So I was, I was so happy to hear it. Yeah. Especially right before mother's day, it's, it's hard on those on um, any sort of holiday to explain that, you know, you can't, go home, they can't come here. Phone calls just aren't the same. Talking through the window is, is different than, than going and being able to hug your, your spouse or your, your kids, right? So yeah, it just, it warmed my heart. Just personally, anecdotally, I have a, a grandmother who entered a supportive living facility just prior to the pandemic. So it, it definitely has been difficult for her. Uh, but she also does have some very supportive staff at her facility. So it's, it's good to be able to actually sit down and talk with somebody about it. Mm-hmm. So just looking forward uh, beyond the pandemic, uh, what does your dream future in nursing look like? My dream future in nursing. Well, eventually I want to go into graduate studies and pursue nurse practitioners. And I plan to spend most of my career in smaller, more remote Indigenous communities. Um, I want to improve, improve the care services to First Nations and Inuit and Métis people just because um, I've, I've witnessed and I've had uh, personal experiences in the past that were just not okay um, and so I, I want to work towards making, making healthcare services more, more culturally safe for our people and, and giving remote um, communities the, the care and the services that, that they need, right? So I want to become a nurse practitioner. I'll probably work in Northern Alberta for a little bit, just depends where I go, decide to do my graduate studies. Um, maybe I'll end up back in Saskatchewan. I'm not sure, but I do. This is this is my dream job, working with our elders and in, in our communities. 
Yeah, thank you for agreeing to talk with me. I hope you have like a great rest of your week. So awesome. Thank you so much. It was really great to talk to you, Sheena. That was Monique Dagerlet, an Indigenous nurse working at the Kikinau Seniors Facility in the Northern Alberta community of Wabasca Demeray, talking about her experiences as a nurse. Thanks to Monique for agreeing to chat with me for our feature interview this week, commemorating National Nurses Week, which was May 10th to 16th, as well as Indigenous Nurses Day on May 14th. That's it for this week's episode of Achimowin. Our theme song is Come and Get Your Love by Redbone. Got any news you want featured on Achimowin, or just want to reach out? Feel free to send an email over to achimowin at cjsr.com, or use the hashtag Achimowin on social media. Want to listen to this episode again? Stop by our SoundCloud playlist at soundcloud.com slash cjsrfm slash sets slash Achimowin. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day.